Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. As we did with Mother's Day, so we will do with Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, dads, and we're moving on. Exodus chapter 20. (laughs) Verse 17. We've been going through the Ten Commandments. And uh, once again, this is our last time in the Ten Commandments. But once again, I want to uh, talk through them, speak through them, and have you just repeat them after me as we ask the Lord to write them on our hearts and in our minds. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness to your, against your neighbor. And number ten, you shall not covet. Have you memorized these? How many people know them by heart? Just let me see a show of hands. If you know the Ten Commandments by heart, you can stand up right now this morning, one person out of the whole group. You're just chicken, because you know that if you raise your hand, I'm going to call on you and have you do it. I would imagine more of you know these Ten Commandments than you realize. You had to sit down with pen and pencil and just write them out. And my hope is that you do. And if you don't, quiz yourself on them. Test yourself on them. These are so important that they be in our hearts and in our minds that we can call them up in memory. This isn't just about a Sunday school quiz for a gift Bible or a gold star. I got one of those, by the way. It was very cool. I worked really hard for it. I had to learn to memorize all of the books in the Bible. And if I could get from Genesis to Revelation, straight through without any mistakes, I got the coolest blue jeans Bible. I love that thing. It was all, you know, the cover was blue jeans and it had a patch on it, a 1970s-ish looking patch that said Holy Bible and it was in those kind of swirly letters like you saw in the 70s, I kind of designed. And it was so cool. And I remember when the teacher brought it in and set it up in front of us and said, this Bible goes to anybody who can list the entire books of the Bible, every one from Genesis to Revelation. I was like, I've got to get that Bible. I've got to get that Bible. I don't think I ever opened it after I got it. But it was cool. It was a cool, but it was in the King James Version and at that point in my life I could hardly read English normally, much less the Elizabethan. And so uh, that was my gift. And I received that and it was wonderful and it was great. But guys, I want you to understand something about the Ten Commandments. The gift that we receive, the motivation for knowing these commands, for understanding them, for taking them into our lives, is not a gift Bible, it's not a gold star, it's the experience of God's love. It is the experience of God's love. If you don't believe me, just trust me in this. Test me in this. Check it out. Know these commands. Attempt to live by these commands. Not not to receive salvation. Not because by doing so you can look better. But know these commands and attempt to live by them. And I guarantee you, you will experience the love of God. The love of God. John says in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Father, we believe this. But these commands were not given to weight us down. That, Lord, it was honestly it was the Pharisees who in Jesus' time had so weighed down 
and, and bowed the shoulders of the people with so many laws and, and intricate ways the laws must be kept. So Father, you give us in simplicity and beauty and, and wonder these ten commands that we might be in a love relationship with you. And that's the place we want to be, Lord. To experience your love, to, to feel it, to know it, to, to walk in it. And I pray this morning, Father, as we sum up the Ten Commandments, as we look at this one and final command, that we would understand what they all truly point to, what they all are truly about. And so, Holy Spirit, come and teach us this morning. Open our eyes and illuminate your words, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 20, verse 17 again says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But let not God speak to us, or we will die. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, or literally to prove you. And in order that the fear of Him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. And that's the idea, right? That, that we may not sin. That the te- keeping of the Ten Commands, that the commands themselves are given, that we may not sin. So why is it so hard? So why is it, and especially as we've looked at all the Ten Commandments so far, all the way up to Do Not Covet, we have seen that in each and every one of them, we're culpable. In each situation, we violate. We have violated each and every one of these commandments, and if you don't think that you have, you're not being honest with yourself. If you truly understand what the commands are teaching, you know you've violated every one. Now, I've had a few people who have come up to me and they said, Man, I, I really enjoy it. I love this Ten Commandments series. I just wish we could stay in it longer. I don't. I don't. Because every command convicts. Every command makes me uncomfortable. Every command points out the sin in my life. And even Moses says to the people, Hey, God's come to prove you so that you may not sin. And I think, well, if he gave the commandment so that I may not sin, why do I continue to sin? And how can John say that this is the love of God that we keep his commandments? And how can John say his commandments are not burdensome? I was reading on Thursday morning, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. And it struck me how applicable it was, what he wrote. I want to read this, just an excerpt to you. He said, Has the Lord ever asked you, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? It's far easier, listen to this, far easier to die than to lay down the life day in and day out with the sense of the high calling. We are not made for brilliant moments, which is great in my case, but we have to walk in the light of them in ordinary ways. There was only one brilliant moment in the life of Jesus, and that was on the mountain of transfiguration, And then he emptied himself the second time of his glory, came down into the demon-possessed valley, and for 33 years, Jesus laid down his life to do the will of his Father. And John says we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It is contrary to the human nature to do it. Salvation is easy for me. 
Because it got, cost God so very much. But the manifestation of it in my life, that is difficult. Two things have become very clear to me regarding the Ten Commandments low these many weeks. The first one is that they are truly a guide to laying down my life on a daily basis. However, it also makes me realize that they are contrary to human nature. It is contrary to human nature to lay down my life. Why? Again, if the commandments are not burdensome, why is it so hard to lay down my life for the Lord? And the answer is in the flesh. The flesh is hungry. The flesh is thirsty. It's insatiable. It's always wanting more. Is anyone hungry this morning? Isn't it interesting how God created us with the need for feed? (laughs) How God made us... So that after two, three hours, we can have the biggest meal in the world, but give our, our systems time to digest. Two, three, four hours later, we need to eat again. We are hungry again. That is the flesh. And the flesh is so dominant in our, in, dominant in our lives, it causes us to desire to eat. It's insatiable. It's hungry. It's thirsty. The flesh wants. The flesh desires. The flesh covets. And God comes along with the audacity to say, no coveting. No coveting. No coveting. But Lord, that's contrary to my human nature. Exactly. That's right. I made you in the flesh. Flesh and spirit. But I want to elevate you to the spiritual. And to do so, you're going to walk out a lifetime of attempting to overcome the flesh. Attempting to say no to the insatiable desires that are in you. No coveting. This is interesting to me. Over the last several weeks, we have looked at some very practical commandments. No murder. No adultery. No stealing. No bearing false witness. And with each one of these, we've literally had to draw back a little bit to see how they really come from the heart. You look at them and on the surface you think no murder is just an easy command to keep. No, it's a heart problem. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 5. It's not just murder that's the issue. It's anger and how you sin when you are angry. That's the issue. No adultery. Easy. I just won't commit adultery. Problem is, it's not adultery that's the issue, Jesus said. It's lust. It's a heart problem. And with each one of these other four commandments, we've looked at them and said, okay, draw back, look at this. It actually starts in the heart, not with the flesh. It starts earlier. It starts deeper. They all have to do with heart trouble. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. But this is interesting. The tenth and final commandment, the Lord doesn't target what comes out of the heart. He directly targets the heart itself. Our legal system understands this. There are punishments for murder. There are punishments for adultery. If there's an adulterous relationship in a marriage and a divorce happens because of it, the adulterer is the one who who gets punished to a degree for that. There are punishments for stealing. There are punishments for bearing false witness. There are not punishments for coveting. You can covet all you want in our country and not be punished for it. Why? Because no one knows you're coveting. Because it is directly in your heart. Because coveting is what's going on in here. I could be coveting right now. I could, be look, I could be looking at Chris's Hurley shirt and going, I want that shirt. 
and you wouldn't even know it. I could be preaching a message and coveting, and no one would see because it is a direct heart issue, different than these others. These others, we see them. They're acted out. They're, they're behaved. But the heart is where coveting goes on. And it's not measurable in and of itself. It's actually measured in behaviors which violate the rest of the Ten Commandments. Well, let me explain that. I want you to know three things about coveting this morning. The Lord says, no coveting. Well, the first thing is that coveting itself drives disobedience to the rest of the commandments. Coveting is the issue. It is not by accident that God lands on coveting at the end of the Ten Commandments, for it is coveting that causes murder. It's coveting that causes adultery. Coveting causes theft. Coveting causes a person to bear false witness. Coveting causes a person to take the Lord's name in vain. Well, how's that work? We'll talk about that. Flip in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We're going to go to two or three sections of the Bible this morning, and I want to encourage you to follow along and read these as, as we study them together. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Hence, Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. I love this line. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. We talked about this on Wednesday night. Jesus had this way of speaking the truth in love. Of looking at a person, even a guy who he knew was a little off base here, and looking at him and loving him. And Jesus said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. You know what's missing of the commandments that Jesus mentioned here? Bible students, you know this. Jesus neglects to mention the Ten Commandments. He doesn't mention, you shall not covet. Now, I've heard all kinds of sermons on this saying, well, covetousness, that was the man's problem, so Jesus left it out to make a point. Well, well, that's good. But the truth is, coveting is everyone's problem. Coveting is a heart problem. And coveting drives all of the other commandments. When God lands on the final word, you shall not covet, He is encapsulating all ten of the commandments in this one. Turn over to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Let's keep going to the right in your Bibles. Paul explains this very powerfully. I had never seen this before. And we've even read this first earlier in our uh, commandments series. But it's very obvious. Romans chapter 7 verse 7. Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking every opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. And apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive from the law, but when the commandment came... Sin became alive, and I died. 
And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. So that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Paul says this phrase, this word, the commandment, four times. Do you notice that each time he says it, it's in the singular? He doesn't say the commandment. He is not referring in this passage to all ten of the commandments. He is referring to one commandment. Which one? Don't covet. Don't covet. When you understand this, it's eye-opening. But this commandment, which one? Not coveting, resulted in, which was supposed to be a result in life, proved to be death for me. Sin took an opportunity through the commandment. Which one? Don't covet. So that the commandment, through that commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. The commandment which drives all the other commandments is coveting, which brings us right back to the heart. If not for coveting, murder wouldn't happen. If not for coveting, adultery wouldn't be an issue. If not for coveting, stealing, bearing false witness, all these other things would not be issues. But coveting is where the heart begins to churn and burn and stir up and cause these things to come out. Coveting. It drives disobedience to the other commandments. Why? Number two, because coveting develops discontentment. Coveting develops discontentment. Have you noticed in your own heart how easy it is to become discontent? If I only had a car like that, if I only owned a home like theirs, if only my paycheck was the size of his, if only my wife loved me like my secretary, if only he understood me, if only I owned my neighbor's vineyard. A story is told, interesting story, about a man of some wealth who wanted to secure a piece of property next to his own. It was a beautiful piece of land and he offered to swap land for land or to pay cash price for this property. But his neighbor declined because the land had been in his family for generations. The wealthy man was bummed out and whiny and depressed and he went home and he plopped on his bed and he just, he just kind of sank down into despair. Because the property that he owned wasn't enough. He wanted his neighbor's property as well. Well, the, the plot thickens and his wife comes in. And she says, well, what's the matter with you? What's the problem? What are you so depressed about? She says, my neighbor has this land that I want to buy and he won't give it to me. And I'm really upset because I really want this piece of land that would be perfect for a vegetable garden. And his wife has a great idea. And that's where we'll pick up the story. Turn in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings 21, an interesting story of coveting. A story that might just as easily be in the newspaper a couple of days ago as opposed to thousands of years ago. But in 1 Kings chapter 21, Ahab, King Ahab, covets the land, the vineyard of a neighbor whose name is Naboth. Ahab wants Naboth's land. He can't get Naboth's land. Naboth says, hey, this has been in my family generation after generation. I can't sell it. And so King Ahab plops down on his bed and begins to whine. And he's all depressed because he can't get what he doesn't have. His heart has gone covetous. 
And so his wife comes in. A woman, you may have heard her name. The name is Jezebel. There aren't enough girls named Jezebel in our country. Anybody hear that? It's not in the top five of children's names anymore. You know, Jezebel and Judas, those are two you just don't hear a whole lot. But verse 7, Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelites. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living in the city with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people and seat two worthless men before him and let them testify against him saying, You curse God and the king and then take him out and stone him to death. False witness. What drove the false witness? The very false witness against their neighbor. It was coveting. It began with coveting. But go on. So the men of the city, the elders and the nobles who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as was what was written in the letters which she had sent. They proclaimed the fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. And then the two wordless men came in and sat before him, and the wordless men testified against him, even saying Naboth before the people, and saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. And they sent word to Jezebel, oh, by the way, there's murder. So now we have very false witness, we have murder. Both have started out with the covetous heart of Ahab. And they sent word to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelites, which he refused to give you for your money. But for Naboth is not alive, but is dead. And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, and took possession of it, stealing it. Three commands violated because of the heart of covetousness. Covetousness drives the other command. Covetousness develops this whole issue of discontent. Ahab was a king. He had more land than he needed. He had control of the people. He had resources, but it was not enough. The flesh wanted more. The flesh was discontent. So the wife, the infamous Jezebel, delivered. Jezebel, by the way, is known as the seducer of both Ahab and Israel. She is a perfect picture in and of herself of a covetous heart. Wanting what you don't have and doing what it takes to get what you don't have. That's Jezebel. Interesting, in the story, the violation of the Tenth Commandment resulted in the violation of the Ninth Commandment, the Eighth Commandment, and the Sixth Commandment, and it all comes back to covetousness. One more Old Testament example of covetousness. Second Samuel. Open your Bible to Second Samuel. Chapter 12. It's a parable of sorts that uh, Nathan brings to David, King David. Second Samuel, on oh, first. Hang on. Second Samuel chapter 12, beginning in the first verse. There it is. Nathan's telling David a parable. He says, "There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. No, I can relate to this. 
We have a little person in our life now in the Crawford house named Reggie. And Reggie eats with us and he sleeps with us and he messes on the carpet not with us, but he does that all on his own. But our kids love Reggie. And he's kind of being raised up with our kids. He's the family pet. This is what we're talking about here. This little lamb was the family pet. Now verse 4 tells us a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger burned greatly against the man and he said, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. David didn't understand it was a parable. He thought this was a true story. But Nathan is, is telling him about this man who took this other guy's new lamb, their pet, and offered it as a dinner for his guest. And David in his anger says, He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. Only the little ewe lamb's name wasn't Reggie. It was Bathsheba. David's sin in the issue with Bathsheba. David's sin was that he saw he coveted another man's wife. That's where it started. Look at again chapter 11 in verse 1 tells us it happened in the spring. At the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David... He stayed at Jerusalem. He stayed at Jerusalem. And when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And right there his heart had become covetous. He's looking at Bathsheba. He's saying, oh, I need her. I want her. I desire her. You know what's interesting? Go back over to 2 Samuel 12. And listen to what Nathan says to David, whose sin against Bathsheba, against Uriah, her husband, resulted in murder. It resulted in stealing. It resulted in all of these other violations. And listen to what Nathan says. He says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, verse 7, It is I who appointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things than these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? God responds by saying, David, haven't I given you enough? Isn't it enough that you've got the palace? Authority over all Israel, you have wives, you have everything you could possibly need. And by the way, Dave, if that's not enough for you, I'll give you more. I'm capable of providing more if what you have in your life is not enough. And yet David had a covetous heart. And James writes in James chapter 4 verse 2, You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. See how simple it is with the Lord? You do not have because you do not ask. And then he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures, discontent, disobedience. But thirdly, coveting denies the graciousness of God. 
Coveting denies the graciousness of God. Luke chapter 12 verse 15 tells us the following. Jesus says, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he said to his disciples in verse 22, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, or your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18 tells us, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. But coveting denies the graciousness of God. Coveting says, I don't have that, I want that, and God is not going to get it for me. I, I can't wait around for God to take care of my life. Obviously what God has provided in my life is just not enough. I need more, I need something else. And so I'm driven to disobedience in other commands. Through coveting, discontent, disobedient, denying the graciousness of God. Who not only gave us life and every good thing that we've ever experienced, but God by His grace would like to give you more. Would like you to experience more in life. More of His blessings, more of His love. And my friends, we haven't even scratched the surface of the graciousness of God. We're not even close in this moment in time to understanding how deep God's graciousness is. How much He wants to bless His people. We're going to spend all eternity just dumbfounded and in awe. Blown away. You know what the book of Revelation tells us? That the elders cast their crowns before the Lord. Why? Because they don't even... They are so amazed, so in wonder of the graciousness of God. They don't even need the crowns. The very crowns that they receive for all that they've done in their lives, they cast before the Lord because they want Him to have it because they just are so blown away by His grace. And we're not going to completely understand it. I don't know that we'll ever fully understand God's grace. I think we're going to spend all eternity just awash in the graciousness of God. But when we in human flesh covet, seek after, desire other things, are greedy, we're denying that very grace that God has given us. So, so we come down to the last of these Ten Commandments. We understand that coveting is the issue. It's the one that drives the rest, it develops discontent, it denies the grace of God opportunity to work. But as I said at the start, and this is what I want you to hear, the whole reason for walking out these commandments is not salvation, it's the experience of God's love on a daily basis. Now watch this. With all the other commandments, we've kind of looked at a definition for the word early on in our study. When we come to adultery, and we look at the Hebrew word for adultery, what does that really mean to apply it? In this one, I've waited till now to share what this word means, the word covet in the Hebrew. It's fascinating. It's the Hebrew word hamad, and it means literally to pant for. To pant for. To desire passionately. To hunger and thirst after. And God says, don't pant for things. Who do you pant for? What do you desire more than anything else in your life? What is it that gets your heart going? What are you passionate about? What are you energized by? What turns you on? What do you pant for? 
Over and over, my friends, we have seen that the answer to keeping the commandments is not living in the shall nots, it's living in the shalls. It's not in constant saying, no, no, no. It's in saying, yes. You want to learn how to walk in the Ten Commandments? It's not by looking at each commandment and going, okay, today I'm not going to murder. Today I'm not going to commit adultery. What's the other one? Stealing. I'm not going to steal today. Oh, today I'm not going to bear false witness. Lord, help me. I'm not going to covet today. That is a typical response of the flesh to the commands. Oh, it's all the no's. So I'm going to live in the no and I become very negative and very paranoid and very tense. But the commandments are not burdensome. Right? They're supposed to be about the love of God. So what is the answer to all this? The answer is in coveting the Lord. In panting after the Lord. In desiring passionately, in hungering and thirsting after Jesus, as if He were the only one in your life who is worth desiring. Now turn in your Bibles to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. This is an absolutely stunning psalm. And what is being written here and in how the writer of the psalm just pours out his heart and his passion. Listen closely to these words, beginning in verse 1, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng, oh, and lead them in procession to the house of the Lord, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime and His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I'll say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me, hoping God? For I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. This psalm, gang, it is a song of a man who is crazy in love with God who is passionate, who is beyond the norms. This is not a dignified man writing this psalm. This is a guy who is pouring out his heart, who is depressed because he's not with his God, who remembers those times when the assembly was gathered, and the praise was wonderful, and he was caught up in all that was going on. But now he's not. And now he is longing for, he is thirsting after, he is desiring God with all of his being. He is panting for God. This is the heart of a man who covets the Lord. You want to learn how to be less covetous in your life? Turn your coveting to the Lord. Covet God. 
This guy has the longing, the hunger, the thirst, the desire. And I ask this question, could this person, could this writer be you? Could the psalmist be you? Maybe you went along with the throng, moving with them in procession to the house of God to worship. Maybe there was a time in your life when you coveted every waking moment with the Lord. It's all you really wanted. Or maybe you've never had it. But you've seen it in others, coveting the same for yourself. But gang, I want you to understand something going back to the book of Exodus chapter 20. The heart of a man, the heart of a man passionately coveting God pales in comparison to the heart of God passionately coveting you. For all that we may ever feel for God, for all the love that we may ever generate or experience or express to our Lord, it pales in comparison to the depth of His passion and His panting after you. Listen to the commandments again, starting at the beginning. I, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven on earth or above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Jealous of what, Lord? Of you. I'm jealous of you. I am passionate about you. I am crazy in love with you. And therefore, I'm giving you these commandments because I don't want to lose you. You mean too much to me, the Lord would say. Look at verse 8. He says... Is it verse 8 or 1? Verse 6. He says, I show loving kindness to the thousands and to those who love me and to keep, who keep my commandments. Get down to verse 18. And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Now remember, during the giving of the Ten Commandments, Moses is not on the mountain. He goes up the mountain after the Ten Commandments are given to get the rest of the law because the people are scared, witless. They're surrounding the mountain. They're in the camp of Israel and God is thundering the Ten Commandments off of the mountain. And the people are hearing it and they are shaking in their boots and they say, Moses, verse 19, speak to us yourself and we'll listen. But let not God speak to us or we will die. Why is this? Because they were beginning to experience for the first time a little taste of the passion of God of the desire of God for their lives and they were overcome they were overwhelmed they were blown away they were scared to death and Moses said to the people do not be afraid God has come in order to prove you and in order that the fear of him may remain in you why does God want me to fear him so I won't sin why does God not want me to sin so he won't lose me This whole issue of sin, my friends, is not this God sitting up in heaven with a sheriff's badge going, Oh, there's one that was wrong. Oh, blew it. Oh, you're out of there. This is a God who is so passionately in love with you that each and every sin that could possibly draw you away hurts him because he doesn't want to lose you. Well, I don't know about that, Rick. I mean, how can you you prove that? How can you prove to me that God really loves me that much because He went to the cross and died for you to save your life? And Jesus said, Greater love, John 15, 13, has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Notice He doesn't say that one died for his friends. That's not what Jesus said. 
Then say, here's the greatest love in the world, that someone would die for their friends. He says that one lay down their life for their friends. All of his life on earth, those 33 years, Jesus laid it down. Jesus did everything for others. He loved. He gave himself. And yes, he died. But guess what? He continues to lay down his life for you and for me in heaven to this very day. What do you mean? In intercession and in prayer, Jesus is constantly laying it down, putting his holy, perfect reputation on the line for you and for me. Because he loves you that much. He desires you that much. He covets a relationship with you that intensely. So the last command of the ten, you shall not covet anything belonging to your neighbor. Instead, let me encourage you, lay down your life. Lay down your life. Covet the Lord. And let Him be your everything. Father, Lord, I get so tired of the distractions of this world. There's so many things to covet, so many things to want, so many things to desire, and the flesh just keeps getting hungry. Father, we don't need these things. We need you. this law, this beautiful, wonderful, gracious, loving law that you laid down. Father, to save our lives. To draw us close to you. To teach us to love you and to covet you. Father, that, that is my heart. In my life, my heart, Father, is that I would covet you more, that I would pant for you as the deer pants for brooks of water. My heart and my desire, Father, is that we in this fellowship would covet you. That we would pant after you as a deer pants after brooks of water. That we would cease to be affected by the flesh and the things of the world. That we would continue to say yes to you and at the same time saying no to the things that draw us from you. And so, Father, that there's nothing between us. Nothing that distances us. Only pure and sweet relationships with you. God, we realize we wouldn't have a hope if not for Jesus laying down his life. And we thank you for that. Over and over, we thank you for Jesus. Help us to love you more, trust you more, covet you with all our hearts. And be with us today, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.